Okay. I want to say that one of the things I have really appreciated this morning was Willie's devotions when he said that he giveth more grace. And I'll just say that that I stand here this morning recognizing that that message was especially pertinent for me. A couple of things that happened right after that. One thing was that we went back to the room. I'd been up early this morning and we got back to the room. We had a little bit to see about and the door was locked because we had failed to unlock it when we left the room. So we had that little frustration to deal with and it wasn't so bad. We got, we got into the room okay. Then once we got in the room, the notes that I was going to print out for this message this morning, somehow we had all sorts of difficulties in getting a backup off of my computer onto Merle's and Joe's so that we could try to get those things printed out. And so I'm standing here this morning with no notes in my Bible, and I usually preach with notes in my Bible. And I don't make any apology for that because the Bible says that the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue are of the Lord. And so it's okay to prepare. And I, you know, I, I just have been accustomed to doing that in our ministry and it just didn't work today. And so I had a few frustrations. For that reason, I've got the screen up here and I hope it's not a distraction to any of you. I'm going to use that as we try to go through this message. It is good, again, to be together, to open the Word of God and to share together. Just expect His Spirit to lead us and direct us in the paths of His choosing. We have in mind this morning, as we continue our study of the attributes of God, to launch out from the message yesterday that was entitled, God is Holy into another aspect of God and His attributes. And this message this morning is the God of truth. The God of truth. And before we do that, we want to approach His throne in prayer. And I have asked the brother who, who confessed that he was the solitary Idahoan, if that's a word, in our presence, to just lead us in prayer. So, Brother Josh, would you lead us in prayer as we all stand? Please. Holy God, we approach your throne of grace this morning. Lord, our cups are full and overflowing from what we heard yesterday and this morning. And appreciate what Brother Pete shared, Lord. About a little bigger cup than before. And Lord, we want to trust you, you will fill it. And so we're opening our our mouths wide and we're opening our hearts. Lord, and we just thank you that we have the assurance that you're here in our midst this morning. We want to ask a blessing on Brother Kurt as he brings forth the Word this morning. We ask you a blessing, Father, for being a willing vessel. May your Spirit rest upon him as he, as he imparts the words of truth to us. Lord, we're so grateful for the redemptive work of Christ and the blood that was shed to, to purchase us off the, the slave block of sin. And... I noticed in that 103rd psalm that we sang out a little further down, it says that you've removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Glory to you. Thank you, Father, for, for your endless grace and your mercy. We just ask you to bless us today as we learn to be better disciples for you and to be soldiers for the kingdom of Christ. We pray this all for the worthy name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> the scriptures we'd like to turn to this morning and read are three. We're going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 32. We'll come back to these scriptures one by one as we try to go through this message. 
Deuteronomy chapter 32. The first six verses of Deuteronomy 32 read like this. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of His children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not He thy Father that hath bought thee? Hath He not made thee and established thee? Notice in verse 4, the Scripture says that He is a God of truth. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus." And the last passage is John chapter 3. Third chapter of the Gospel of John. Beginning in verse 25. John 3, verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing, except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth. No man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. God is true. God is true. God's counsel is immutable. That's the message of those three scriptural passages that we've just read together this morning. And so let's think about this mighty God that we serve. This holy God that we serve. And let's remember this morning that as we think about Him... The Bible is emphatic 
tells us without any shadow of doubt, without any question, that God is truth. God is truth. As we think about this message this morning, as we kind of summarize it before we begin, we're going to look at God, the God of truth, as the haven of truth, the hope of truth, and the hunger for truth. That's the basic outline that we attempt, we will attempt to follow this morning as we think about the God of truth. The haven of truth. We'll flip back now to Deuteronomy chapter 32. We want to see here how the scripture emphasizes that the God of truth provides a haven for his people. The haven of truth. Notice in Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 again. He is the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He. He is the rock. Let's understand this morning that the Bible uses this symbolism time and time again as it speaks about the God of truth. He is the rock. In fact, in this very passage, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, there are about five different times that you'll find that expression made. Not only in verse 4, but in verse 15, it speaks about the rock of our salvation. In verse 18, it speaks about the rock that beget us. In verse 30, it speaks about the rock that sold those who were wicked. And verse 31 It speaks about the rock as our rock and how he's not like the rock of the heathen and the disobedient. God is a rock. Rocks give shelter as we think about the symbolism of this haven of truth, the God of truth. God is a rock and rocks give shelter. Another Passage that we'll find another 32nd chapter is in the 32nd chapter of Isaiah. And I want to just flip there quickly and get a couple of verses at the onset of Isaiah chapter 32. This is speaking about Jesus Christ prophetically, Him being the King, Him coming in human form. And the prophet Isaiah said, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Rocks will do lots of things. We understand that. The Bible presents various aspects of rock. Rocks. But as we think about rocks this morning, as we think about Jesus Christ being our rock, as we think about the God of truth being symbolized with the expression in Deuteronomy chapter 32 as a rock, we want to remember that rocks are, large rocks are generally unmovable. Immovable. And rocks will provide shelter. They provide a haven. Isaiah 32 says that they're a haven from the storms of life. And they give us shade and bless those who are weary. They're a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. This God of truth certainly is all of that and much, much more beside. God is a rock, the haven of truth. Because God is immovable, because He is a, 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 the haven of truth, God the rock, I want to just stop here for a moment and emphasize that the immovability of God does not mean that this God that we serve, this awesome God that we serve, it does not mean that we should focus on His austerity. It does not mean that we should focus on His judgment. It means instead that we should focus on His perfections and on His holiness. We want to think about the perfections of God, this God who is the haven of truth, the God of truth, the perfections of God and His holiness. In fact, this particular passage in Deuteronomy 32 makes 
makes very direct reference to the perfections of God when it says in verse 4 that His work is perfect. His work is perfect. We sing sometimes. Thank you, Pete. We sing sometimes that old familiar hymn that men and women of God have sung for ages. I'm thinking about the hymn penned by Top Lady. And you know how it goes. Rock of ages, shelter me. Let me find my rest in thee. Keep this thing going here. Let me find my rest in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. And then what's the rest of that? Cleanse me from its guilt and power is the way we sing it. Did you know, did you ever wonder why it is when you get to the last of that first verse that, that it just seems like the, um, the rhyming is not quite right? It just doesn't seem to be quite right. Pure, power, sure, and power, they just don't seem to rhyme quite right. Did you know this morning that when Top Lady penned those lines, cleanse me from its guilt and power was not the original lines that he penned. Make me clean and keep me pure is the way Top Lady originally penned those lines. Make me clean clean and keep me pure. Make me clean and keep me pure. Somehow this morning, save from wrath, I'm sorry. Save from wrath and make me pure. Somehow this morning, as I think about the original penning of those lines, I just seem to prefer the way it was originally penned rather than the way we oft times sing it. Save from wrath and make me pure. This rock, this haven of truth, is a rock that will, in the words of Top Lady, both shelter us and save us. And as he goes on and pens the rest of the lines in that hymn, he emphasizes again the blessing of salvation that we have in this rock, this rock of salvation, the haven of truth. Our rock. I like the words, the phrase that we find here in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. You know, the, the, um, the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, as Moses pens this, he speaks about the rock, the rock, the rock, their rock. But when he gets to the latter part of chapter 32, in verse 31, he emphasizes that this haven of truth, this rock, is our rock. It's our rock. We are His and He is ours. That passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 yesterday morning emphasized that yes, we are His and He is ours. We can this morning say that He is our rock, this haven of truth, the God of truth. He is our rock. Our rock. The psalmist says, Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 The psalmist says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. The haven of truth, this rock, this mighty fortress, who is our God, and we sing it sometimes, a mighty fortress is our God. Yes, indeed, He is a mighty fortress. He is the haven of truth as we seek shelter in this God of truth. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 again. You will notice there in verse 3 that the Bible gives us some instructions. And this is Moses speaking the words of God to God's people. He says, I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is a great God. Indeed He is. He's the God of our salvation. He's the Lord. He's the God that saves us. He is the God that provides us shelter. The God of the haven of truth. 
Publish and proclaim this haven, Moses says. Publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness or proclaim greatness unto our God. Tell the world. Tell your friends. Tell your peers. Don't be bashful about ascribing greatness to our God. Proclaim it. Publish it abroad. He is worthy to be, cl- to be praised as men and women of God will publish and proclaim the greatness of our God. Don't be afraid to speak for God. A few months ago, several months ago, I guess it was. You know, oftentimes we get caught unawares unexpectedly as we have uh, encounters with other individuals in life. One morning, back a little over a year ago in the early part of the year 2009, I stopped for a cup of coffee at a filling station where I frequently, frequently stop. And I went in there and I got my coffee and I went to the counter to pay. And if you go early in the morning, it seems like there's a lot of activity there. And so I was a little bit early that morning and there was quite a bit of activity. I waited in line for just a little while until the, until it was time for me to, to pay for my coffee. Before I did that, however, as I was standing a second in line, there was a man in front of me and I had waited a little while and, and, um, and he had taken a little bit of time and I thought he was about finished and, and then he said, oh, he said, I just about forgot and he, he said, I want to buy some lottery tickets. And so he began to, to make this purchase and, and then, um, there was a little bit of exchange between him and the clerk and, and the man said, um, well, everyone's got to have some vice. And then he kind of chuckled about that and he turned a little bit and saw me standing behind him and looked back at me and he said, isn't that right? Now, you know, what are you going to say to somebody like that? Are you going to smile and, and nod your head? Well, I can thank God this morning that I didn't do that. Just without even thinking, without even a second thought. I said, no, that's not right. You don't have to have a vice. And he kind of blinked a little bit like he was surprised and shocked that somebody would respond to him that way. And so he, he uh, then began to smile a little bit and he turned back to the, to the clerk and he said, I guess I said the wrong thing at the wrong time, didn't I? And she said, yes, you did. Now, I want to say this morning that you need to be men and women of God. Be ready to speak for Him. Be ready to give testimony for Him. Publish and proclaim that this God of our salvation, the rock, the haven of truth, is worthy to be praised. And He desires men and women just like you who are willing to speak out for Him at a moment's notice. Never, never back up. Never give ground to the adversary of our souls, the devil. Publish and proclaim this haven to the men and women around us. God's truth, as we think about this haven of truth, God's truth is the basis for His judgment. Surely He is a God of judgment. Notice what verse 4 says. It says, He is the rock, His work is perfect, For all His ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He. His truth is the very basis for judgment. And when God judges, it is right judgment. It is holy judgment because it is judgment that is based on truth. His truth is the basis of judgment. That verse tells us, That this judgment of God is just and it's right. There's no iniquity there. There's no inequity there. There is no lawless, there is no, there is no lawlessness there. That's the kind of judgment that God uses. His judgment is just and right. This morning we understand that because we're finite, because we are humans, because we rely on our senses, to learn and try to grasp truths about God. Because of that, God communicates to us, largely at least, He communicates to us through the medium of words. He communicates His truth to us through the medium 
of words. We can be thankful this morning that as we think about the God of truth, we hold in our hands the Bible, the very Word of God, which we understand, we believe, we affirm emphatically that this is the Word of truth. He is the God of truth. He's given us His Word. This is the Word of truth. We sing sometimes. The hymn number 180 in our collection says, Let the Bible tell the nations. Yes, let the Bible tell the nations. Let the Bible tell the forest stranger, forest ranger, or the wilderness stranger, or whatever it is. Let the Bible tell the nations. God of truth. The haven of truth. His truth is the basis for judgment. His truth is proclaimed to us through the medium of words and as it's given to us in the Bible. That passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32, that passage is really a song. And I want to just emphasize this morning the importance that God saw in placing this passage in the Bible. I want to emphasize the importance that God saw in proclaiming this song to Moses to be sung to the children of Israel because He wanted them to always understand that He is the God of truth. It's a song that was meant to be a witness. Notice in chapter 31, verse 19. Moses was ready to die. He was ready to depart the earth. Depart from the earth. God told him that his days on earth were coming to a close. Moses was 120 years old. He had led the children of Israel through the wilderness. They were standing there at the brink of the entrance into the promised land. God told Moses, He said, This people, this people are going to forget me. They're going to turn away from me, but I'm going to give you and them something that will help them. In verse 19 of Deuteronomy 31, He says, Now therefore, write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. Songs and hymns are a great blessing. They've always been that way for the children of God. Singing the hymns of Zion will bless us. They will inspire us. They'll remind us of the blessing of being a child of God, the God of truth, who provides us shelter and salvation, who provides a haven for His children. Therefore, write ye the song for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Verse 21, that this song shall testify against them as a witness. For it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. You see, God was telling Moses, and He was to tell the children of Israel, that when, that when they would turn from Him and forget Him, because they had committed this song to memory, this song would be a testimony, would be a witness for God to them. It would be a blessing to His people to remember that this God is a God of truth. A song and a witness. It was meant to be heard. Meant to be heard. Verse 1 says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth. It's a witness. It's a testimony. It's to be heard in the heavens and in the earth. This song that speaks about this God of truth. This God of truth. This is a song... Of doctrine. And I make no apology this morning when I say this is a song of doctrine. Doctrine is something that ought to be appreciated. Real men and real women of God will appreciate doctrine. Now, the unfortunate thing is, as we think about doctrine, that too many times doctrine has been used as a sledgehammer to pummel people and to make them or try to make them come into submission to man's ideas. Let's remember that true doctrine is the teaching of God. This is the truth of God. And doctrine is meant to be a blessing. Verse 2 says, My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb. And as the showers upon the grass. You see, doctrine is meant to be handled and to be received in a gentle manner. In a gentle manner.
It shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and to and as the showers upon the grass. Let's not shrink back from doctrine. Let's remember that it's because of doctrine that we can stand here and sit here this morning and emphasize what the Bible emphasizes, that the God that we serve is the God of truth. The blessing of doctrine. My favorite passage of Scripture, and sometimes we're asked this, what is your favorite passage of Scripture? And different people have different passages that they really like. And you know the old familiar uh, passage in John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a favorite passage to many. My passage is a little bit, my favorite passage is a little bit different than that. And you're probably going to think me a little bit strange when I tell you what my favorite passage is. But my favorite passage of Scripture, if I could just use this as a banner over me to, to, to guide me and to always keep myself in focus. My favorite passage of Scripture is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. There the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness' sake, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And the way my mind thinks, and the way that acts on my heart is this, that if I just accept that one simple truth, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, then I've got the whole Bible that becomes my favorite passage of Scripture. Because it's all Scripture that's given by the inspiration of God. That passage says that not only is all Scripture given by inspiration, but that passage says that all Scripture is profitable. Every word of God is, is meant for our profit. It's meant to be a blessing to us. And men and women of God ought to be reading all of the Bible. Every bit of it. Because the Bible says it's profitable. And it describes for us then how it is profitable. It's profitable. And the first word that Paul says is, it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine. If we want to be children and men and women of truth, we just simply go to the Word of God and recognize that this inspired Word, this inspired Word this morning, is profitable to us. It's meant to be a blessing to us, profitable for doctrine. Profitable for doctrine. We were speaking about the Word. Speaking about the Word and how it's the Word that proclaims the truth of God to us. It's the Word that we go to as we seek shelter, as we seek this haven of truth, this God of truth. I would be remiss this morning if I didn't remind us that this written Word, this written Word is only given to us to portray the Word incarnate. The Word incarnate. I'm speaking about Jesus Christ, whom John says in the first chapter of his Gospel, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory and grace and truth, John says. That is what we find in this Word made flesh. This is what we find as we look at Jesus Christ and recognize Him and Him alone to be the haven of truth for the lost souls of men. The haven of truth. Let's think, as we think about the God of truth, let's think about not only the haven of truth, but let's think about the hope of truth this morning as we flip back to John chapter 3. Third chapter of the Gospel of John, the hope of truth. John 3. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, A man can receive nothing except to be given him above. He speaks about the bride and the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom. Verse 30, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. 
He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven, he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. And I don't want to stop there with that expression this morning. I want to go on and read verses 34 through 36. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The hope of truth. If we didn't have hope, we could not read, and we could not be blessed. The words of John the Baptist when he says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Verse 33 says, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. God is true. So, if we, if we receive his testimony, then we set to our seal that God is true. If we receive his testimony, verse 36 says, and we believe it, then we have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Receiving his testimony of truth provides the haven, the haven of truth. It provides the seal to our salvation. I think we'll not turn, turn there, but we'll just give you this reference. John chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus said, Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. And he goes on in that verse, and he speaks about those individuals whom God the Father has sealed. Because you're a blood-bought son and daughter of God, God has sealed you. And that's the Holy Spirit of promise that He's placed within you as a seal of His ownership, as a seal of His residence within you. If you're truly a disciple of His, if you're willing to submit and walk in His way, if you want to ascribe to Him the fact this morning that He is the God of truth, God has placed a seal upon you. And so, receiving this testimony of truth, not only provides a haven, as we've already emphasized in Deuteronomy chapter 32, or a seal, as it's described for us here in John chapter 3, but it does something more than that. It provides the hope that we have of life eternal at the very throne room of God. As we surround the throne, as we see God in His holiness, this hope that we have through Jesus Christ this hope is what provides us with that great blessed expectation of being there in the presence of God. You know, really, Jesus Christ is our only hope. There's no other way, no other door, the Bible says, no other way of salvation, but alone in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of creed you might ascribe to. It doesn't matter what sort of discipline you might be engaged in. The only way for salvation is in Jesus Christ. The only way. Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. He is the only way. This morning, if you're trying to get to heaven in some other way, and be honest with yourself, if you're trying some other way to get to heaven, the Bible says that you're just simply a thief and a robber. I use Jesus' own words in John chapter 10. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only truth that God has given to us. Other than through His Word and through His Spirit working through that Word. But Jesus Christ is the embodiment was the embodiment of truth as He came to earth and walked the earth and discipled men and women and is still doing so today. The God of truth provides us this hope of truth. Jesus Christ is our only hope. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The promises of God 
the promises of God. And we read that passage in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to just quickly turn there for a couple of verses. We'll go back there in a little while. But let's just notice a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 6. And the verses that I want are at the end of the chapter. I'm going to change the pronoun here. Beginning in the latter part of verse 18. And the writing of the scripture is this. It says, We have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You see, there's the haven and there's the hope. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, where the forerunner for us has entered, even Jesus. And the latter part of that verse is important as well, but it's not so pertinent to our message this morning. And so we'll just stop there in the middle part of verse 20. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. That's Jesus Christ, the hope of truth. He is our anchor. And our anchor is attached. It's attached. It's an anchor of the soul. It pierces within the veil of heaven. We're anchored there through Jesus Christ. You know, men have anchors and they throw their anchors down. But God has an anchor and His anchor is up. That's the way God works. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And it pierces within the veil. Piercing within the veil. We are anchored sure and steadfast. If you'll notice the expression that's given to us there in that sixth chapter of Hebrews. I just have a question this morning I want you to think about. Why are so many people hopeless? It's really not a complicated question. Doesn't take a lot of intelligence to contemplate that question for just a moment. Why are so many people hopeless? Well, it's because, and I'm just going to give you the response in very, very simple terms. It's because they are not proponents of truth. They're not proponents of truth. The Bible describes this in the first chapter of Romans. There's a lot of things described here in Romans 1. I'm going to try to make this as brief as I can. But so many people today in the year 2010 are so hopeless because they will not be proponents of truth. And the Bible says in the terminology of Romans chapter 1 that individuals like this are individuals who attempt to change truth. That's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans 1, verse 25. It says, They change the truth of God into a lie. Men like changes. Men like changes. As we go back to Hebrews 6 in a little while, we're going to contrast the ways of men with the ways of God. But men like changes. Romans 1 tells us that men like changes. One of the things that men will do is that they will attempt to change the truth of God into a lie. Earlier in that chapter, the Bible says in verse 23, the words of the Apostle Paul, it says, they change the glory of God and now they're changing the truth of God. And the Bible says that because of this, because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things that are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see what happens when men attempt to change the truth. When men fail to embrace truth, the Bible describes it in very graphic detail here, the latter part of Romans chapter 1, and the Bible says these individuals are individuals who are just hopeless. They're hopeless, helpless, and hapless. That's what they are. Individuals like that are just hopeless. 
They do not have the hope of truth that God desires for each of us to have. The hope of truth. Romans 1. There's a lot of questions given to us in the Bible, and I like the questions that are given to us in Scripture. Somehow questions just really begin to to work in my mind and just begin to uh, make me to be intrigued by them. One of the saddest questions that you'll find in the Scripture is that it's a question raised by an ungodly man and it's found in John chapter 18 and I think you know the question that I'm going to ask in just a moment. The question was phrased by Pontius Pilate. Jesus was in front of him. And the Bible says that Pilate, as he had this exchange with Jesus, brief communication with him, the Bible says that Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? Just about the saddest question that I can think about as I think about questions that men ask and questions that we find in Scripture. Now, in the context of Pilate giving that question, you'll recall that Jesus, the one who said, I am the truth, was before him. And Pilate was sitting, he thought, in judgment of this one Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had spoken to him. He was truth. And Pilate was unwilling to embrace truth. Pilate sought an out. And because Pilate refused to choose truth, the Bible says that Pilate immediately said, Ye have a custom. He jumped from truth to custom. Now, I'm not opposed to customs. We all have customs. I think customs are a blessing to the people of God. But dear ones this morning, let's remember that customs must always be walking with truth. Pilate made the disconnect there. And he refused to look at truth. Instead, he said, ye have a custom. And he sought to release Jesus because of the custom of the Jews. That the feast of the Passover, he would release to them one whomsoever they would choose. Refusing to look at truth. Choosing rather to look at custom. That's the way Pilate responded when he was put. He was the one really this morning that was on trial and not Jesus. Refusing to look at truth. Refusing to accept the hope of truth and instead choosing custom. And I hope this morning that you and I never resort to that sort of tactic. But it's been done many, many times. I've seen it done in my lifetime. And many of you have seen it done in your lifetime. When men will choose custom rather than choosing truth. I want to just say one thing more before we leave this particular emphasis of our message this morning about the God of truth being the hope of truth. That is that, that there's a book in the Bible that deals with the question that Pilate raised. In fact, it deals with it almost exclusively. And you probably know which scripture, which, which uh, book of the Bible I'm going to say just now as I think about man's search for truth. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know how well you might like Ecclesiastes, but there's a lot of really good reading in the book of Ecclesiastes. A lot of wisdom there as we see the man who was seeking out wisdom under the sun. And the Bible tells us that we're to seek wisdom, we're to seek truth from the God of all truth who reigns and super reigns above the sun. We're to look for Him as the source of truth and Him alone. The thrust of Ecclesiastes is truth. I want to just go to one passage, in a couple of passages maybe, if we have time to do that, in the book of Ecclesiastes, as we think about truth and the emphasis of truth that's found in the book of Ecclesiastes. One of the, one of the truths that we find here in Ecclesiastes is that God's truth never wears out. God's truth will never tear. God's truth never needs mending. I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should very fear before Him. You see, God's truth, 
The writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us, God's truth never needs mended. You don't put anything to it. You don't take anything from it. God's truth will never tear. God's truth is always true. It provides us this hope that we have that pierces within the veil. A few days ago, we were in western Kansas, last Thursday. Went out there for a funeral. On the way from the funeral home to the place where the funeral service was to be held, there was a bit of a problem that arose. The other minister who was sharing the responsibilities with us that morning, on his way from the funeral home to the place where the funeral was, all of a sudden the button of his coat popped off. And it took some quick thinking. But they just peeled out of the procession, drove into a driveway there, and his wife got out and she ran inside, and the door was open, and she found within the sewing area of that home, she found a little pen. It wasn't a safety pen, it was a straight pen, and so he had to stand just about right, but it seemed to work. Now, now God's truth never, ever needs mended. There's no popping of buttons when God's truth is presented. It will not happen. We can be sure this morning that God's truth will stand and it never, ever needs to be mended. One more passage in Ecclesiastes. This is, as this, this man who's seeking out wisdom and all of his searching under the sun. Finally, there's a conclusion, a final conclusion given to us in the latter part of chapter 12. And verse 10 says, Verse 10 says, The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. Words that can be received. Words that can be accepted. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. That's the Word of God. It's words that are upright. It's the Word of truth. Hopeless individuals hunger for truth. Really, they ought to at least. Hopeless individuals hunger for truth. God's Word is truth. Jesus said this in John chapter 17, verse 17, when He says, Thy Word is truth. And He petitioned the Father there to sanctify them. That's us this morning. Sanctify them and us. Sanctify us through Thy truth, through Thy Word. I wanted to flip back to... And I'm going to go... Very quickly here, but Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, I want to just pull out one word there that's given to us in Hebrews chapter 6. Remember, remember that we said that God's truth is immovable. The immovability of God's truth. There's another expression used here in chapter 6 of Hebrews concerning God's truth. And that is that not only is God's truth immovable, but God's truth is also immutable. Immutable. Very, very close in meaning. But God's truth will not be changed. It cannot be changed. God never moves away from His truth. And men and women, if they're true seekers, will be individuals who are hungering for that immutable truth. He wants hungering individuals. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a blessing promised if you're hungering for truth. And I hope this morning that we all are hungering for truth. I stand here this morning and I say I'm hungering for truth. And I hope I never stop hungering for truth. And I hope you never do either. Never stop hungering and thirsting after God and His truth. The prophet Isaiah said, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man is thought. Let him turn unto the Lord. And the promise of Scripture is that God will hear and God will answer and God will bless that individual who is truly seeking for Him. I speak from experience. As I speak about what it is to seek and to search for this God of truth. All of us have a past. I'm thankful this morning that I'm not living in the past. But I can say this morning that for far too long, too many years, I was an individual who was just a little bit like Pilate. I just wondered, what is truth? 
I was raised in a home that professed Christianity. And I was blessed to be raised in that home. My parents emphasized discipline, and I'm thankful this morning they did. But somehow, as a young man, I just really grappled with truth, trying to determine what is truth. And I remember thinking about this. We are the influence of the public school system in our lives. And so I was searching and trying to figure out what is, what is truth. And there was a time that I began to think, well, the Bible really isn't true. I began to think that. And I'll say this morning that I didn't know if the Bible was true. I didn't know if, if, if God was real or whether He was the figment of some man's imagination. I didn't know that. I hope you've never been there. But I'll say this morning that's where I was. Finally, after years of grappling with this, trying to understand, trying to figure it out, one morning, one, one, one evening, I'm sorry, one evening, when I was living in the city of Lawrence, Kansas, I decided that I've got to do something, and so I made my way under cover of darkness to a bookstore that I knew existed. I walked in that bookstore, and I was somewhat sheepish, and I was being, trying to be very careful who might see me. And I walked in there, and there were a few people there in the bookstore. But I had something in mind. And I waited a little while. I glanced around and pretended to be looking around at various books. And the clerk came in and she said, may I help you? And I said, no, I'm just browsing. Didn't want to admit the truth. And so finally when the store cleared out and nobody else was there and I was watching carefully. Everybody else was gone. I finally decided, well, I want to find this Bible that I came searching for. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't have the word of truth. And so I began to look diligently for a Bible. And I couldn't find one in the bookstore. Finally, the clerk came back to me and she said, Are you sure I can't help you find something? And I said, and I was rather bashful and uh, downcast about this. And, and I said, uh, well, do you have a Bible? And I said it in hushed tones like I, you know, I just didn't want anybody to hear. And she said, well, yes, we do. And she took me back to a certain portion of, of the store and she showed me where the Bibles were. And, and I didn't want to spend much time there. And so I quickly grabbed one. And took it up before anybody else came in the store. And I, and I paid for that book. And, and she said to you, uh, she gave me the Bible. And, and, and I said, uh, could you give me a sack to put it in? You see, I didn't want anybody to see that I was carrying a Bible out of, the, out of the bookstore. And so she gave me a sack. And I put the Bible in it. And I beat my way quickly as I could back to my place of residence. And I took that Bible. I had a roommate. And I didn't want him to know that I was going to be reading a Bible. So I took that Bible and I placed it in my room and at night, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would wake up and I would read my Bible. The door was closed, the door was locked and I took a notebook and I started making notes of various things that read my Bible. Never had engaged in Bible reading before. But I was thankful that the Spirit of God was working on me. I began to read my Bible. Dear ones, this morning, it was in the Bible that I found my Savior. It's in the Bible that I found this God who is the rock, the God of truth. It's in the Bible that I stand this morning and I say you can be blessed if you'll be Bible readers. Brother Leslie will tell us that this morning or sometime soon at least. But he's going to tell us that we're going to read the Bible. We're going to be blessed. And I can stand here this morning as a, as a testimony, as a witness for God that I have been immeasurably blessed because I was willing to accept the word of truth that God has given to humanity. I've hungered. I've thirsted. I've never quit hungering. I've never quit thirsting as I've read my Bible. And I hope this morning I never do. And I hope you never do. Never stop hungering and thirsting for the word of God. Well, we must stop. We must stop. I want to just give you some final truths. I'm going to read them very quickly with Scripture references as we think about the God of truth. The God of truth, who is the haven of truth, who is the hope of truth, who desires for us to have the hunger for truth. Exodus 34, 6. God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Psalm 25, verse 10. All His paths are mercy and truth. Psalm 96.13 
God shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with truth. Isaiah 65, 16. He is the God of truth. 1 Samuel 15, 29. God will not lie. He will not lie because He is the God of truth. He's given us His Word. He intends for us to peruse it, to read it, to meditate upon it, to stand upon the Word of truth. Because the Bible tells me that all the promises of God are yea and amen. All the promises of God are yea and amen. He is the God of truth.